Sharks and COVID, what is the connection? You guys may have seen the hundreds, almost, articles that have been going viral in the past couple of weeks about sharks being killed for the COVID vaccine. Now, I saw this article, I read the headline, and I was like, okay, I think there's probably a lot more to this. So, in addition to clicking on the article and actually reading it, I decided to reach out to Stephanie from Shark Allies. She is the director of this shark conservation group based in California, who are um, kind of the people behind this giant movement to try and stop shark squalene being put into COVID vaccines. So yeah, that's what this episode is about. Stay tuned. We also get into uh, chats about shark fins and what you can do to help protect sharks, whether you like them or not, because they're vital for our planet. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I'm here with Stephanie Brendel, who's the Executive Director of Shark Alleys, which is a conservation group for sharks based in California. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be invited. I am so excited to talk to you because you have been uh, one of the main kind of voices out there with the recent um, squalene COVID vaccine situation. So I think that's why I actually reached out to you to, to hear about what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it um, it's turned into a much bigger deal than we thought it would, honestly. Um, we've been working for more than a decade on fin trade bans, you know, shark fin trade bans. That's mm -hmm. been really the main objective because as all of us know, that's the biggest problem. Um, but then this year with COVID and knowing, you know, that we couldn't really work on the ground uh, on a lot of projects and really couldn't do much with legislation after we finished in Florida, um, I thought it would be a good time to dive into the whole squalene issue. And that's when we kind of, you know, educated ourselves and found out about the, the vaccine applications. And what exactly is squalene? Uh, squalene is something that uh, is a component of um, shark liver oil and it is also in plant oils. So squalene is extracted out of oil and it is a substance that the cosmetics industry likes to use. It's a moisturizer. It's sometimes also antibacterial. Um, it's just a, a, you know, it helps the product to be smoother. And um, in vaccines, it is used as an adjuvant and an adjuvant is essentially something that helps the antigen in a vaccine. 
the antigen being the thing that you know is the actual medicine, but the booster, the uh, the adjuvant, helps um, make less antigen go a longer way and also to boost the immune system. But it's been used in other vaccines. Is it like continually being used? What what happened yes. with COVID really bringing it to the forefront? Well. Um, we have known and vaguely known that um, adjuvants have been used in flu vaccines before. To us, it was never really a big deal considering the percentages and the amounts. We're like, well, you know, it's not mm -hmm. nice that it's being used, but you know, there's bigger problems we have to deal with. Um, we also looked at the cosmetics applications and we thought, well, it's a real shame that people are still using shark and it's something we should probably do something about. And while we were looking into, you know, why is it used? How much does it cost? What are the alternatives? We discovered that it is being used as an adjuvant in the development of some of the flu vaccines. Um, you know, there's lots of them in either in clinical evaluation or at a preclinical stage or in different phases of development. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I thought, well, you know, we're talking about a global vaccine now. This is yeah. not just something that is happening small scale. And then you think, okay, several billion people will get it. Of course, not everyone will get the same vaccine. But I just more and more thought, you know, we are getting to the point where um, shark squalene as an adjuvant is becoming something acceptable and more normalized. And if it starts to be an ingredient, a key ingredient in a COVID vaccine, it'll also be an ingredient in future coronavirus vaccines because mm -hmm. you know we're not done with COVID. I mean, COVID could be around for many years. Uh, we could potentially need regular COVID shots, you know, nobody knows whether this is going to be a one-time immunization or whether this is going to be a seasonal one, mm -hmm. whether one vaccination helps everyone or just some. Uh, and we don't know what other viruses will come our way. This is, you know, like I said, I've said to many people, this is the new normal. We are probably going to have more coronaviruses and there may be more pandemics and, and we don't know how this long this one will take. So, you start adding and then you su subtract and then you add and sub subtract. But in the end, <clears throat> it comes down to the fact that we're talking about a global demand for a product that's based on um, a wild resource. And no matter how you look at that, even if it's a small percentage, even for um, you know the supply chain argument, you know, it's not a reliable source. So why mm -hmm. would we base something that is needed by everyone on the globe on something that can only be taken from wild animals? You cannot breed them. You cannot, you know, replace them. Once once a species it collapses, then, you know, you're kind of done with that one. So we just kept looking at it from all the angles and took months to look into this. And we were unsure whether we should even say anything because you know, I pretty much knew that the moment we would say that people would freak out and they would have a knee-jerk reaction saying, oh, you're trying to hold up COVID vaccines and people are more important than sharks. And, you know, we're not saying anything like that. Mm -hmm. And what we came to understand is that there are alternatives and they are being developed, they are being tested. So our point has always been, 
why are we not testing the alternatives? Because they are existing and sooner or later we are going to have to start testing them and why are we not doing that now? Well, as, as you were saying, there's plant-based derived squalene and then I heard they can also synthesize it in the lab. Is that true? Um, yeah, it's, it, the way I understand it is it starts out with something like sugarcane and then they use mm -hmm. it, they synthesize it into, um, into exactly the application they wanted. So they can go straight from a, a, a sugarcane based squalene, they can just go straight to um, an adjuvant or it can go straight to being squalane or squalene or all the different applications that they might use it for depending on whether it's for cosmetics or vaccines and what purification it has to go through. So yes, it, it is synthesized, but I think the beginning of it is either bacteria, algae or plants. I mean, there's always a starting point and, uh, and that one should not be sharks, we think. Yeah, and is, is it um, only derived from sharks? Are there other creatures which have it? Why, how have sharks become apparently like the easiest source? Like, I just don't understand how that would be the go-to. <laughs> we're still learn we're still learning what creatures make squalene and I just recently learned that I guess some bird stomachs also have squalene in them mm -hmm. but of course they have to regurgitate <laughs> what's in their stomach in order to release that and I'm sure bird enthusiasts wouldn't be happy about that um, it is that sharks because sharks don't have a swim bladder they have a extra large liver as, as you probably know very mm -hmm. well and because of that large liver that helps them, you know, at depth and, and with, with the buoyancy, um, there's a lot of oil inside elasmobranchs mm -hmm. and not in other fish. Other fish have fish oil, but they don't necessarily, I can't say that for 100% sure, but we have not found any other fish had that their oil holds squalene. Mm -hmm. So also um, because sharks are, hunted at such high numbers, there probably also have been lots of livers available. Unfortunately, there are many sharks that are not necessarily taken where liver is the byproduct because when you look at the targeted species list for liver oil, most of them are not meat sharks. So you kind of have to say, well, the, the argument that they're bycatch, but bycatch of what? If what are you catching basking in whale sharks for? What what are you mm -hmm. even catching blue sharks for? Blue sharks for fins, um, basking in whale sharks. Well, if that could only be for fins because nobody eats those, mm -hmm. um, and so are most of the animals on that list. Many of them are CITES species. So why would CITES species be on a target list? And it's because in the countries where they're being caught those countries may not be part of CITES. And so it's not illegal to catch them there, but by the time the liver is sent to a country where it's turned into oil and squalene, that country might actually be a member of CITES and therefore they are processing semi-illegal species. So it's a really tangled web. It, it's, there's not a lot of traceability. Um, I can fairly surely say that most purchasers of shark oil or shark squalene have no way of proving what species that came from. Mm -hmm. um, mostly they order it in another country. Some countries are probably better than others. Uh, squalene comes from New Zealand and from Australia. 
some of that is locally caught and maybe much more sustainably caught than other countries. But then even within Australia, uh, you know, you there's lots of shark oil that gets imported and then gets processed as um, Australian made product, but the oil didn't originally come from the sustainable fishery that you have. Mm. And, you know, and then New Zealand doesn't really have a vaccine in development that has an adjuvant, but it seems from what we found out that they are selling their squalling to the UK. So it's nobody claims to be taking part in this and pointing, everybody's pointing at someone else. So, you know, it's a mess. In, in other words, and I think it's not intentionally a mess. I don't think that this was like an illegal industry that, that mm -hmm. is filled with crime and, and, you know, not like the Finn industry. And yeah, so, you know, the vaccine companies are not necessarily uh, trying to be neglectful. I think it's just a new topic that they may not have considered and haven't been told that shark populations are actually in trouble and, and that overfishing is a problem and that their products are contributing to that problem it's not separate and it, it's not about who's worst and who is best and mm -hmm. you know you can't say just because there's a worse industry out there that that sets you free you know we understand that overfishing and, and finning is much worse yeah. but that doesn't it doesn't really relieve the pressure from your own industry yeah and what you guys are saying is there are alternatives um, to find this squalene or to use it. And it's time that we're moving towards a more sustainable um, option. So why not start now? Because as you said, well, this is yeah, a new because, normal. <laughs> and it's also because there's going to be a process, you know, there has to be, the production has to be worked out, the scaling up to mass production, then the testing, there are many steps that have to be taken to make mm -hmm. this commercially acceptable. And we understand that and change is hard and it, there may be some additional costs for R&D. We understand that and, and nobody says they need to change overnight. But the longer we wait with testing, whether it can be used, because we're very, very confident based on who the, the companies we've talked to, that the plant-based squalene is ready for, you know, for big mm -hmm. time. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that the longer we wait to start with testing, the longer that same excuse is being used. Oh, we haven't tested it, therefore we can't use it. And if we can't use it, we won't test it because you know it's not part of our product line. And then you know it involves patents probably and certain income streams. And I understand that people don't suddenly want to give up on a product that they've developed and paid for for many mm -hmm. years, but they sh could consider creating a second, you know, um, parallel brand or adjuvant that can eventually take over. You know, it's just the change needs to be done while we still can and have some time. Um, somebody commented that, oh, this is not a hill worth dying on. And, and mm -hmm. I said, well, that's exactly my point. I know there's worse, worse things out there, but why, why are we going to wait until this is another hill? Um, yeah. We have enough of them. So why don't we do something before more species are on the endangered list? And then we all have to spend 10 times the resources to try and bring them back from the brink. You know, we've done this with elephants and rhino and all the other terrestrial animals that are highly endangered. We don't do anything until the animal is nearly gone and then we throw millions at it to try mm -hmm. and save the last few 
and the industry that has exploited those animals do not contribute. They don't see that as their expense. No. So, you know, so when, uh, when cosmetics companies and pharmaceutical companies say shark squalene is the cheapest, well, it's cheap to them, but they're not mm. including the expenses that uh, all of us are having to pay eventually for having to fix the damage in the ocean, you know, and, and the important role that sharks play for us, that is not included. Cheap to you, but not cheap to society. So I think cheap and easy is, is not the excuse anymore. Uh, you know, I compare it to green energy and climate change. Yeah. Green energy used to be very tricky and more expensive, and but we have to do it either way. And eventually it becomes a total win-win situation. It's a better, more reliable, cheaper, cleaner, and that's the solution of the problem. Yeah, it's just about getting those first steps started, which seems as a hurdle, but then once it's actually rolling, <laughs> once these alternatives have passed all the tests, then um, plant-based, because yeah. they're already using plant-based uh, squalene in a lot of like beauty products. I just know because I try and read the bottles of whatever I buy and um, I buy vegan or plant like, cruelty-free products. And I know right. I've read squalene. So unless those companies, <laughs> you know, are using sharks, then um, they've definitely managed to find alternatives. Well, you know, the, the, the standards for what's in cosmetics and for vaccines is a little different. Yeah. So I, I give, you know, I granted, granted there is, there is a higher standard of purity that needs to be achieved so that there's no um, allergies and reactions. Mm -hmm. I get that. Uh, but then also, um, I don't think that the pharmaceutical industry is so borderline, uh, you know, underfinanced that they can't afford to do a little bit more R&D. I believe that whoever comes out with the vaccines is probably going to, you know, probably make millions off of it. So yeah. um, to try and do things ethically and uh, by doing more testing and trying to do it in a sustainable way will pay off in the long run. It may cost a little bit more initially. Uh, I'm sure there's ways to solve that problem. But from what I have seen from the conversations I've had, the plant-derived synthetic squalene is not only cleaner, easier to produce, it's also infinitely scalable. They can make a billion mm -hmm. doses every month. You cannot necessarily do that with sharks when suddenly you need a high demand or, you know, it's, it's not as predictable. And it also has the potential of being much more effective as an adjuvant. And it will allow for everyone to get an adjuvant that needs a, a vaccine with an adjuvant. Whereas right now already, um, Again, I'm repeating what I'm being told from people that are experts, but I don't have this in written proof, but I'm mm -hmm. told that, you know, with certain flu vaccines, the only um, versions that are adjuvanted are those for the um, elderly over 65, et cetera, and, and young kids potentially, I'm not sure about that part, but, you know, to the extra vulnerable uh, parts. So since adjuvants are a really good idea, if they become so accessible, then it means more people can get a cheaper vaccine that has the, the full potential. Um, and that's also a really good thing because you know it, it brings a little bit more equality into the equation. And I bet you that an industry of, of growing and manufacturing 
uh, a plant-based squalene would could become a really big industry and could be done domestically, you know, in each country, um, which is also a lot more secure if you think about it. You don't depend on other countries to export or, you know, a, a resource to you that that maybe one, you know, could, if you're not in good standing with that that country, as things are right now, especially with the U.S., you never know where that's going to go. Um, but you know, I don't want to be all gloom and doom. The, the fact of the matter is, no matter how you spin it, uh, it seems that something we can control, that we can grow, that we can harvest and grow again and again and again, it's just a better idea than, you know, taking a wild animal. Yeah, definitely. And you were saying that you were worried about the backlash you'd receive from people, you know, like, oh, no, you're trying to slow the COVID vaccine and you are right. prioritizing sharks over people. I mean, in the little bubble I live in, which, you know, uh, Facebook mm. just shows me what my peers um, talk about. So I've seen a lot of the other side of that backlash of um, the, the petitions you guys started blowing up all across the ocean conservation kind of area and everyone mm -hmm. getting very much behind it. So did you get that kind of backlash you were expecting or the, the um, I guess the, what's the word? <laughs> we didn't actually. I was a lot more paranoid than I needed mm. to be, it turns out. Um, I, I wanted to, for myself, be 100% sure that I could come out and have a solution at the same time. I didn't want to just raise another flag and, and yeah. freak people out and then say, no, go worry about that. You know, I wanted <laughs> to be sure I could say, all right, here's the problem. But it seems like we already have a solution and here's here are some realistic steps we can take that really will not impact anyone negatively, except financially, potentially a few people, a few companies. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to have a solution. I wanted to have an immediate here's what we do and here's how we can proceed um, in baby steps, I guess, or big steps, depending on how will willing people are. I think in the ocean conservation community and animal um, advocacy community, people immediately get it because they mm -hmm. understand a wild animal resource is not a good resource and you know we, sh we shouldn't be doing that. We should know better. I think it was more, we did have a few people that read the headline and never read anything more than the headline and immediately jumped mm -hmm. to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. But all I have to say is, is please read half the page down where we say several times, this does not have to slow down anything, but this is not our intention. And our intention is not even to go after any companies. We're not here to start a war. We are raising awareness and we're saying it's time to do the right thing and that these steps do not have to hinder, slow down anything. This is in addition to what, we're, mm -hmm. what is already being done. If, and if it's too late for the first round, then, then so be it. Then if the first round is based on shark squalene and it's gonna help people when they need the COVID shot, then so be it. Um, it's everyone's own decision at that point, and and um, we're not going to stand in the way of that. But you know, it's still, um, we, we don't need to react to everything as if, you know, if we try to do the right thing, it automatically must be taking away something from us. You know, you must be yeah. costing me money. You must be trying to hinder me. You must be trying to protest. That's not the case. And you know, people get so reactionary on reactive not reactionary people get so reactive about these things that 
that was where my paranoia came from because I know what happens on social media and I know yeah. how people react. And, you know, we made sure there was a disclaimer on everything, even the petition. It mm-hmm. says, you know, clearly we're not trying to hold things up. Calm down, people. Yeah. And I have to say most people and even the media, 90% of all the media that has come out has been very much empathetic to sharks, which that was my biggest surprise. Um, I didn't think anyone would care about this. I didn't think this was going to blow up into, I think, almost 150 news stories now, you know, all across the world. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, I, for years, have been trying to get people to pay attention to, you know, 70 to 100 million sharks being taken for the shark fin trade. And we never got a global story out of that except randomly. Mm. And then we're talking about four to 500,000 sharks because of vaccines, which was a rough estimation of, you know, how many sharks it would equate to. I didn't, wasn't even going to state that number because I thought it's too small. Nobody will pay attention to it and nobody will care. It doesn't matter. And it's, it's really a number that, that, you know, we don't want to focus on, but people just freaked out when they heard that number, who, who, who could, you know, who could, anticipate that so i think it's because a different crowd of people looked at that number and connected it with covid and somehow it resonated you know and and the only thing i regret is that a lot of the the headlines said 500,000 sharks are going to die because vaccine companies and and we never said that we said that if it ends up if vaccines do rely on shark adjuvants then the amount that might be needed would equate to roughly, all oh, right, four to 500,000 sharks based on you know, the dosage that they yeah. use in flu vaccines. We didn't say that somebody was gonna go out and hunt those sharks down right now, um, or that they were specifically taken only for vaccines, you know, but really it's the key words of 500,000 sharks in COVID is what the media heard. And that's what they put into headlines. And I mean, I regret it a little bit, but not too much because really that's what uh, caught everyone's attention. And, and for once we've gotten headlines for sharks that were supportive and empathetic for sharks and not negative because as you know, mm-hmm. you know, usually a headline, a global headline has to be a shark attack. Yeah. And not going to make it otherwise. And so this is where we were so surprised how everyone is, is connecting to this. And it has started some incredible conversations, anything from, you know, animal cruelty and animal testing. And, you know, should we be using any animals in the, you know, it has, it has kickstarted a lot of good conversations. Um, it has given me access to people that wouldn't talk to me before, um, you know, certain uh, vaccine companies, um, squalene producers, uh, the alternatives, um, all sorts of associations of physicians, um, of you know, ethical uh, research. Everybody has been reaching out and has been wanting to be part of this. And um, I think that alone is, is really the true worth in this is that what comes next is what's really most valuable. This media blast, that was great and fine, but it's only great because it's opened up some doors Mm -hmm. for us to do more, you know, so. 
but it was a huge surprise. I mean, I, you could, you couldn't, I would have laughed if you would have told me that more than three papers will pay attention to this article when it came out. And I was like, you know, I was stoked when there were four on the first day. I'm like, wow, Daily Telegraph and then The Sun and then TMZ. We're like, why is TMZ putting this out? You know, they're really more into gossip. And then Monday rolled around and it went bananas on Monday. Yeah. So here we you are. You also have a really powerful image driving it. I think that was part of the success of this article. Who who designed it? That that um, that image, that Photoshop image of sharks within that little test tube kind of bottle vaccine dispenser yeah, I don't know um, what it's called <laughs> yeah it's a little it's a little ampule like a glass um, yeah. glass um, bottle yeah you know it was when we first did all the the blogs um that were educational blogs we made sure those were all on the site before we ever came out with an article and we thought you know we kind of need like an iconic image that um that catches people's eyes that's not super gory it's not about blood and that but it kind of you look at it and you know immediately what this is about and around the same time um i had connected via instagram to an artist a digital artist who i thought did just amazing work um and i was just interested in his art and you may have seen um maybe two months back he did a really cool image of a woman face to face with a great white shark and he called it mother nature it kind of went around the internet mm -hmm. and he's not you know he he's not necessarily known within the shark circles but i became really interested because i liked his imagery and his art i reached out to him and i said wow this is really beautiful and he said oh i like shark allies i love what you guys do if you ever need any help so when I thought when we were talking about the vaccine campaign, I said, you know, I don't want to use a photograph like we use for um, the fin campaigns. This is a really kind of a more of an abstract topic. And I think that this guy would be really good at creating something that visualizes this. And we talked over it for a few emails back and forth and he nailed it. This was the first design. He, he said, this is what I want to do. And I'm like, perfect. <laughs> it no, sometimes it's, it's just work out yeah yeah no it's a, it's a really powerful image um so props to him definitely gonna have to give me you know his his contact so we can share on the website as well because it's it's great yeah. work this episode is sponsored by you guys thank you so much to all my patrons who are on patreon.com slash ocean pancake because you guys are making this possible you are allowing me to do the work i love to do and we have a good time back there um if you want to join the patreon family just head on over i share behind the scenes clips and videos and stories and photos and we have small discussions and little Q&As and anything that you may need help or advice on. It's a lot easier for me to, you know, have some like one-on-one -on -one chats with you guys over there. So head on over. You can become a turtle for as little as $5 a month, which will give you a shout out and some voting power. You can become a shark, which gives you more background content and all sorts of fun stuff or you can become an orca, a killer whale, and get yourself a Plastic is the Killer t-shirt and help represent the Ocean Warrior tribe. Uh, I truly appreciate you guys being here with me today or even 
sharing this podcast, liking it, doing all the things, all of these um, likes and interactions help me. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast and to help support our oceans because we are in this together and I truly believe that we can make a difference through education, understanding, empathy, and yeah, a little bit of effort. So thanks. And you know, this goes to show how uh, non, you know, how everyone that has any kind of talent or um, expertise can Mm -hmm. participate in conservation. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm not a biologist or I'm not a diver or I'm not a shark expert. I can't be part of this. Most of the time we need people to do just exactly what they do, you know, be a really good accountant or be a really good artist or be really good at social media or marketing or fundraising. That's what we're always looking for because um, the shark knowledge, we all sort of have that and the research, we know where the research is to, we can pull from. Um, and you know, it's always about networking the right people together, but he was the perfect example, you know, of someone that wanted to help and could exactly use his own talent to help. Mm-hmm. And I love it when it works out that way, because um, it opens the door to more people getting involved in, in conservation, not just in a money giving way, or not just uh, through science, because the, the science, of course, is incredibly important and research is very important. But the advocacy part and action taking part usually comes after that. And for that part, we need a lot more people with general knowledge and just the willingness to work, you know, and I think that that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, it's not just about research, um, but research is very important. It is. This is just a small part of the work you do, though. It it is what kind of skyrocketed um, Shark Alleys to to a global stage. But could you tell us some of the other campaigns that you work on to help protect sharks? Because, well, the main one, uh, you know, I mean, I've been I personally have been working on uh, shark fin trade bans Mm -hmm. and legislation for since 2010. And uh, before that, I actually had a shark diving company. So I've been in the shark scene for a while, Um, whether it was, you know, writing articles or doing um, educational projects or, um, yeah, you know, doing lots of school presentations and things like that. But once I started with legislative work, I realized that that was, that was the biggest way to make a real difference, especially with something that's as global and as, you know, industry related as shark finning. This is not just about going to one place and protecting a few sharks in the bay. This is a global trade. Mm -hmm. So my work and which then turned into shark allies work because um, of how I transferred my work was really all focused on the shark fin trade. And, um, and then I created Shark Allies to have an actual group to work through because initially I was just working as my own, you know, advocate or I was working with other groups. And, um, and then I thought if I, sometimes I need to do just the one thing that I really want to do without having to ask other groups. So Mm -hmm. I formed my own and, you know, it, it, Shark Allies was kind of slumbering for a long time until it came to 
really pushing the Florida um, shark fin ban mm-hmm. a few years back. And then I really needed it to, to kick into gear because I honestly, I didn't get much interest or help from other groups uh, to work there and uh, or to take the lead there. I actually just wanted to go there to help. I didn't really want to take the lead in Florida because it's a very difficult state, I was told. That's why nobody wanted to do it. And I thought, well, I guess it's time for Shark Allies to do this all on our own. And um, that's when we really started to work on social media and and becoming, turning more into a a group that has a presence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do have, we do other things. I mean, I would say up until two weeks ago, 80% of our work was on shark fin trade. And um, then we have other projects where, you know, we do like to work on shark media and, um, you know, we're in Los Angeles. So we're always talking to companies about projects and but then you know shark free products shark meat squalene Mm -hmm. and um, other random products they're now elevating up a little bit more in in where we're going but really the shark fin um, topic will probably always take priority it has in the last few weeks but it, it is always going to be the one thing that that needs the most attention because it kills the most sharks so you know why would we not make that a priority but it's not an easy one to work on because legislation is it's very hard work and it doesn't get it's not as fancy and exciting as some of the other things so it doesn't get as much support um and it's hard to get funding for it because a lot of groups don't want to be political Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit it's punishing work and um every time i work on one i always say i'm never going to do another one (laughs) <laughs> but then when we succeed, then it feels like, wow, okay, this is really turning into something. You know, 2010 was the first shark fin ban in, in Hawaii, and I was part of that. And it was the first one in the world. And it set in motion um, a series of fin bans and really became the model for all of the ones that followed. All of the other states um, in the U.S., uh, including Florida, were modeled on that first one. And now there's 14 states that have passed the fin ban in the U.S. and three territories and a lot of uh, Pacific Island nations. Uh, there's a proposal in the EU and the U.K. Um, you know, it just, it just became obvious that dealing with shark fins was um, different than dealing with fisheries in general and that it needed to be dealt with as a product and as a trade, not as a fisheries issue, because Mm -hmm. um, just like ivory and elephants, it's really about who's buying it and who's trading it, not uh, necessarily who's catching it. You know, it's not about the poachers killing the elephants as much as it is the the really expensive market that is demanding the the ivory. So with fins, you know, it seemed like the best way to police it and get a handle on it was to prohibit the actual possession and the sale of the actual fin. So you don't have to know what shark it came from, where it was caught, why you caught it, um, you know, because it it just, it's important. It's very hard to tell where a fin came from once it's cut off. Mm -hmm. How it it doesn't, it doesn't really change the, you know, the, outcome like that shark is dead and finless and 
probably yeah, not it just in becomes a good way. <laughs> yeah, it becomes very hard to prove that any kind of foul play or any kind of mm -hmm. illegal dealings because I, fins by themselves are hard enough to identify, you know, maybe the pectoral fins sometimes are easier, but, you know, dorsal fins, not so easy. Um, you know, what's a small, you know, reef sharks, the dorsal fins are very similar, especially if you have fins of different sizes. And then when they're cut and dried, they're all shriveled up. So the only way yeah. to prove is DNA testing and th that's not going to happen in most places. Yeah. And so it's just way too easy to, to get away with it. And um, for enforcement, it makes it very hard. Um, if they see it, there's a fin, it should just it should be clear that that fin shouldn't be there and there should be no stories around it like oh i caught it outside of three miles inside not yeah. in this area i caught it over here i caught it under the full moon you know I, yeah. whatever they want to say it's, it won't matter um so, it that's how it needs to be can you tell us a little bit about like the the foundation why is why is there such a massive shark fin trade and where is it going and where is it coming from like what for for people who've never heard about it or heard very little like what is yeah. happening because <laughs> that's a lot yeah, of sharks yes 500 million or something um yeah 100 million is you know people throw the millions around um at variable yeah. rate you know some studies say 28 million some say 70 some say 100 or more um part of the problem is that the trade is very hard to actually track and the reporting is you know the lower numbers are probably reported on actual fins that were counted seen and reported by somebody at a port and then you have to calculate the number that was unregulated, illegal, mm -hmm. or unreported, and then go all the way into what is being smuggled. So that's why 28 million turns into 70 million turns into who knows how many million. Um, mm -hmm. I think even the lowest number is too high. Um, yeah. The reason for that, why shark fins are, they're valuable. It's, it's very, very similar to, to ivory because they're highly valued. It's something that people want. And because it's a free for all out in the ocean, nobody charges you for catching sharks. There might be some, you know, fisheries licenses, but really anyone can go out and catch a shark. And um, if you have the right fishing license for that month or that year, and there's no fee to that. You know, you're not paying the ocean or anyone or any country for taking that, that shark. But the fin is incredibly valuable pound for pound. Um, even if you don't want the rest of the shark, it's worth it to catch the shark just for the fin. First of all, you can take that fin. You don't even have to refrigerate it. So if you're fishing for something else, then keeping the fin as well is an extra bonus. You can store it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it can be stockpiled and transshipped as many times as they want once it's dried it doesn't have to be rushed to any place so it's a very easy product and the end result the the end consumer is really it's one product and that's shark fin soup mm -hmm. and it is a status symbol it is not a nutritional uh, medicine or anything in, along those lines it is a status symbol of wealth or showing respect to your guests that you have bothered to actually go through the expense and the trouble of serving the soup 
um, it is in mostly in Asian countries or um, cities where there are larger Asian communities where, where it is valued more. So it's not just in Asia, the US and most of the major cities were real hotspots for shark fin soup. Um, Vegas, LA, San Francisco, New York, you know, it, anywhere where there's lots of tourists and lots of coming and going um, also were, were big players in this. So really, I mean, sharks are being killed by the millions for something that's absolutely worthless, except for symbolic nature. And, you know, it's just stupid. We, humans are just in general, and I'm not singling out any particular country or race. We're just in general, when you think about what we're killing animals for, mm -hmm. um, most wild animals are not being killed for really good reasons or any kind of, okay, we need to eat them. Most of the things that we eat, we now breed and raise on farms. So why are we losing lions and tigers and um, elephants and rhino and gorillas and all of the cool bio biodiversity that mm -hmm. we have, including sharks? It's greed. Um, it is, um, you know, wanting to have status. It's uh, mixed in with some ignorance of not knowing what it's doing to, the, uh, to nature maybe potentially thinking that it's a product that grows back. Um, all of the above, I, I think it's, um, you know, comparable to why do people buy a thousand dollar bottle of champagne? You mm -hmm. know, it, it gives them something, it, it brings value to their life. Um, and, you know, sometimes people do that at all costs because they don't know or they don't care. Yeah. And for the people who do care, what, what can they do? So for, for the people who are listening to this podcast, how, how can they can get involved? Like, Well, the first thing is, is you can, you know, of course, most people probably don't eat shark fin soup. Anyone <laughs> probably doesn't, but you make sure that you don't. And if you have anyone in your uh, circle of friends to explain to them why they shouldn't or shouldn't encourage it, um, sometimes the older generations, you know, you need to spend some time and um, energy to patiently explain it to them. If, if you are in, um, you know, being pressured to serve it, um, you know, it, it's difficult to push back against that. I understand that. But, um, you know, like I said, creating change is never easy. Um, on the squalian side, you know, people need to do what you're doing is to be conscientious of what they buy, uh, look at the bottle. Unfortunately, with squalene, it's not as simple as only looking at the label because usually it only says squalene and it doesn't tell you mm -hmm. if it's plant or shark-based. Um, sometimes the websites of a good company will give you more information on what it is. Um, if you really care about uh, using a certain line and you use it over and over again, it's worth an email saying, hey, why don't you have this on your website? Why, why do you not declare what kind of squalene this is? Um, I'd be interested. And especially brands that say that they're cruelty-free or animal-free or um, all-natural, organic, there are some that claim that and that still have squalene in them. Mm. not realizing that the squalling that they're buying might be a shark. It's unfortunate that the word squalene is actually, actually means shark. You know, it is based on squalus, on the word for yeah. a, a type of shark. 
So it's, it's tricky that we need to invent a new word for squalene that is made from plants so that the labeling gets easier. But in the meantime, they could put behind it from plants or from animals. And that would tell us a lot. Yeah. And then furthermore, if people, you know, beyond of your own use, of course, um, because you can't go out as a person and just rescue a shark like you could with a puppy. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's worth it to support groups that are doing the work on the ground. Um, none of us shark groups or ocean oriented groups are wealthy NGOs. A lot of us depend, uh, our work depends on having um, donations and having people keep us going. Um, and that's a constant struggle. And I think we could actually do even more work and better work if we half of our time isn't spent on worrying how we're going to pay our bills. So don't underestimate becoming a member or a supporter of a group, maybe a group that's local to you that you care about. You could maybe even volunteer for them or show up to events. But if none of that applies, then at least you know sign up for some newsletters so you keep getting um, information. Um, make sure you follow the right people on social media. Get yourself educated, and when you can, or when you can engage your friends, maybe buy some merchandise from those groups, or or donate, or use maybe your birthday as a fundraiser. There's lots of ways people can help, and I can tell you that that many months the individual small donations that have come in have have kept us working you know um it's not about getting big grants because they're very very hard to get yeah it is and it's it's thanks to people who are you know passionate and no matter if they're landlocked or by the CEO where they are just even you know joining the petitions and talking about this keeping the conversation going clicking those articles. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why um, this initiative blew up is because people were clicking those articles. So other organizations and websites were posting about them because people want to know more and more. And it's this, it's a good shift we're seeing, I think. And I'm hoping that the future is looking better for, for sharks in general. <laughs> yeah, like I said, anytime we can get a good reaction uh, in the sense that people say, well, I don't really like sharks and I might even be scared of them, but this isn't right. Yeah. Um, that's the best we can hope for sharks because there's no time for us to make everyone love sharks. And, and it, they're not, you know, except for us shark divers and people that love sharks, they're not the most lovable creature out there. <laughs> Let's admit that they look scary. They're intimidating to people and they do hurt people. And, and you know, their job as pred predators is to hunt. So they're not ever going to be as popular as whales are or dolphins are. And they're not as relatable because they don't play and they're not cute and they don't you know, have the sort of mannerisms that, that we want. Um, so the best we can hope is that people, more and more people understand they're important. They do an incredible job for us for free. You know, They keep our ocean, well, I shouldn't even say our ocean, the planet's ocean healthy and vibrant which keeps the food fish healthy and vibrant so mm -hmm. let's keep them alive because they do a good job that we can't replace and some things are just wrong to do no matter how much you hate something there's certain things i don't like but that doesn't get me give me the right to get rid of it you know and and i think that that's what we should aim for 
I don't think sometimes the shark conservation community is a little bit too far on the, oh, I love sharks and I want to hug them and, and please everyone hug them. It it's, doesn't serve us well. I think finding a good middle road of talking points, so to speak, um, is a, we, get, we win a lot more people over with that by being mm -hmm. realistic and saying, no, it's fine. You don't need to like them. I'm okay if you never ever go in the ocean, that's fine. Yeah. But here's why you should care and we're gonna make it easy for you to do the right thing. You don't even personally have to care that much. You just have to stop doing bad things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's about that. Just doing, doing less harm. Just um, don't, don't go there. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to sure. me. I know I learned a lot um, and I'd like to just end the podcast how I end all the podcasts, which is uh, if you could give one piece of advice for people who want to protect the oceans and the sharks, what would it be? Wow, that's not an easy question. It's not, um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to collect um, these little snippets from all the amazing people I've spoken to because I uh -huh. I think um, it's it's interesting. We've so far gotten a different answer almost every okay. time. So it's, what? Repeat that question one more time. If you could give one piece of advice for people who want to protect the oceans and the sharks, what would it be? See yourself as part of nature and not uh, separate from nature. That's beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah, because that, that really gives you the right perspective for any question, you know, mm -hmm. whether you should protect an animal, whether you should have a certain product, whether you should spend money on the ocean, whether you should be pro or uh, against anything. Um, if you see yourself as part of nature and part of the ocean and the system, then you can't justify things away with excuses like, oh, it costs me too much, or I'm lazy, or I just want to do it. You know, you won't throw away a plastic bottle um, because you know it will hurt you mm -hmm. and you won't um, excuse away, you know, doing anything bad to nature. If you see yourself as part of it, then you'll respect every every moving part of it. And based on that, you can make good judgments every day, you know, small steps in everyday living and all the way up to the big steps in, in what career you pick. You know, that's how, how I see it. I mean, when I see an animal hurt or something bad is being done, it kind of hurts me because yeah. I feel like I'm part of that system. And, and I feel ashamed for how humans behave sometimes, including myself sometimes, you know, when I get lazy or when, I, when I'm less than optimal, <laughs> you know, and I try to correct because I have to admit to myself when I do things wrong or when I'm lazy, you know, okay, I'm human. I will do things wrong, this will happen, but I will at least be honest to myself and say, okay, that wasn't good and you don't do it again or you'll make up for it or you try to be better the next week. Um, you know, I try not to let myself excuse it away. And that's really, that's really it. That's the best you can do. That is beautifully put. Um, thank you so much. Cause that, that's a little <laughs> snippet of wisdom I'm gonna, start spreading <laughs> yeah let's make that a bumper sticker i'm sure somebody already has that i'm sure that i thought of this because i have already heard it, someone else say it i'm sure they're not that original um somebody probably said it even much better than i have 
So, but you know, we, you kind of stick to the things that 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 remain in your memory and that make an impression on you. And in a sense, that's what we're doing. You know, your podcast articles, everything we do, mm -hmm. we're hoping that some of that will stick in someone's memory and shift them slightly or shift them in the big way. And, yeah. you know, um, sometimes it's baby steps and sometimes it's giant ones like the last two weeks and you never know when those, those might happen. You just have to try and be ready. Yeah, just try and be ready for just whatever happens. Go with it. Go with it when it happens. It starts running away with you. Just don't panic and just go with it and try to make the best of it, really. So, well, that's great. Again, thank you so much. And I'm sh sure we'll talk soon again. Hopefully, yeah, anytime. Um, yeah, you can come back and give us some good news about changes in policy and a decrease in shark finning. <laughs> Yeah, let's save all the sharks and, and I'd be happy to come back and report that my job is done. I quit and oh, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to take up knitting or something else. <laughs> it's like what Sea Shepherd says. It's like they're they're about going out of business. And that's what you yeah. know we want. We want to not have to exist. <laughs> oh, I have a lot of things I would rather be doing that that could be a lot less controversial. And yeah. it could be a lot less headache and where I don't get criticized and attacked that be, and where I would make more money. That would be very easy, <laughs> but I have to take care of a few things before I can do that. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I guarantee you, I'd rather be out there and play with puppies and, and, you know, ride horses and go diving and do all those fun things and find a way to make a living with that. And I have done that before. And unfortunately my, my something in my brain said yeah you know um you're kind of done with that you got to do a little more than that and you know I'm like ah damn it now I gotta get out of the water and actually do something so you can't help that <laughs> no you can't all yeah. right Thank well you I appreciate so much. your time and anytime uh, I'll be happy to come back and continue the conversation fantastic thank you so much so I hope that this inspired you to head on out and see what you can do to help protect sharks and check the products in your bathroom and ask questions about where do these things come from because we don't often know and it's such a shame and it's pretty sad to see how many sharks are being killed for no reason at all. And yeah, if you happen to be about around shark fins, try and uh, make people understand why it is so bad to be killing sharks for their fins. And if you guys wanna hear more from Stephanie, let me know. I would love to have her back again, uh, educating us about the amazing world of sharks. I mean, she is an expert who has been in this field for many, many years. So I think um, I and you probably have a lot to learn from her as well. So, uh, thanks to Stephanie, of course, and Shark Allies, and all of you guys, and of course, Graham Mose, who's the mind behind the music in all of the Ocean Pancake podcasts. And yeah, go check him out. He's based in Brisbane. He's doing some gigs now. You can find his music online, Graham Mose Music. Head on over, check that out, and I'll see you guys in the next episode, or you'll hear me in the next episode.